you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. I have spent the last two weeks in school. And as a result of being in school, I was in class from 8 o'clock till 8 o'clock every day but Wednesday. They give you Wednesday. They give you a little time to go to church if you want to. So they let you out at 5 on Wednesdays, but 8 o'clock to 8 o'clock, Monday through Saturday, and then again Monday through Thursday. And so for me, getting into the Christmas spirit has been a little difficult this year. And as I got home, Susan and I talked about and realized that uh, we had not done our Christmas shopping like we needed to. There were some things we had to take care of. And my mom, who was with us this morning, uh, was going to be in town doing visiting my brother over the last uh, end of last week and offered to come over and help us out yesterday. And so mom came over and kept the boys. And Susan and I tackled Rivergate yesterday. Amen, right? And as you walk through all of that, and you're in the lines, and you see the sales, and you're part of the parking, and you're trying not to, to get upset about what's happening, and you're walking through the crowds, and people are pulling in, pulling out, and all of that's happening, and you listen over the loudspeaker as songs are going, there comes moments in the middle of all of the madness when you just ask yourself, why are we doing all of this? Right? Help me out. I don't want to feel like I'm by myself here. Oh, good. In the midst of the cooking and the cleaning and the wrapping and the unwrapping and the going and the driving and the parties and the movies and the music, it just seems like sometimes, why in the world do we do all this? And then I ran off a list today of why the world thinks we do it. One guy has said, and this is the president of a songwriting association, that more than anything else, music sets the mood for the holidays. Evoking the magic of the season and the memories of holidays past, these timeless classics have been recorded by artists in every genre, yet each song retains the original stamp of its creators. Music sets the mood for the holidays. So I thought it would be interesting to see what the 25 most popular songs are in America during Christmas. Number one. Winter Wonderland. If I was a really good preacher, I'd sing a little bar or two for you, but you wouldn't want me to. Winter Wonderland's number one. Number two, Christmas song, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Number three, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Number four, Santa Claus is coming to town. Number five, white Christmas. Number six, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. We might want to sing that this afternoon. Number seven, Jingle Bell Rock. Number eight, Sleigh Ride. Notice anything yet? Number nine. Jesus gets a mention. Little drummer boy. So there's one, right? Number 10, Rudolph. Number 11, most wonderful time of the year. Number 12, I'll be home for Christmas. Silver bells, rocking around the Christmas tree. Feliz Navidad, Frosty the Snowman, Holly Jolly Christmas, Blue Christmas, beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. There's no place like home for the holidays. Carol of the Bells, do they know it's Christmas and wonderful Christmas time 25 songs one explicitly mentions the christmas story this is what i got to think to myself if for me christmas was only about the most wonderful time of the year it was only about a snowman that put a hat on and danced around it was only about an animal that has hooves and a red nose if it was only about going home every now and then, while it might be an interesting time of year, it would not be worth what I went through yesterday. 
Amen? And as I began to think about that, I thought about how different that was from the very first Christmas. When the only song that was sung was explicitly about Jesus. There weren't 25 top songs. There weren't 50. There weren't 100. There wasn't a station that played Christmas songs year-round. It was the event happened, and the first announcement we have is it accompanied by song. And so I began to think, what is this Christmas all about? And as I read the story of the shepherds, as I thought about what Christmas is, as we were moving towards this day, I thought one of the things that is sometimes overlooked when we talk about the Christmas storm, we talk about the baby in the manger, we talk about Christ being born, and we talk about the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from that, one of the things that we fail to understand is that Christ took us out of a very meaningless existence, where if you ask me, those songs, while important, at the root of who they are, at the root of what they say, at the root of what they were written for, are meaningless in the greatest scheme of life. When we come down to it, Christmas is about not only the joy and the hope and the peace, it's also about the fact that He took us who had nothing, whose lives meant nothing, and He made us into people that are vitally significant in an eternal way. Christmas brought me purpose. On your handout, you have that, uh, that paraphrase of John chapter 10, verses 6 through 10, where Jesus is telling a story, and he says, Jesus told this simple story, a parable, but they had no idea what he was talking about, so he tried again. I'll be explicit, I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep stealers, every one of them, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came. This is one of those purpose statements of Jesus, one of the reasons that he came, so they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed possible. One of the things that is great about the Christmas story is it reminds me beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am here for a reason. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, tells the story of not sheep, but of shepherds. And it says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. We'll talk about joy next week. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace rests to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
Let me tell you why I love the story of the shepherds. I love the story of the shepherds for many reasons, but today I want to focus on one main reason, which is that the shepherds were people who were just living out their insignificant, unimportant lives, keeping watch over their flocks at night, making sure that the, the sheep didn't run away, and they're sitting there just doing what they're supposed to do, what they do every day, their routine, what they get up in the morning, they go to bed at night, or they vice versa, they stay up all night and they get some sleep in the day, all that they do day after day after day is to watch sheep. And they have this meaningless, unimportant existence in the grand scheme of things. And that is exactly who God chooses to send the most important news in the history of the world to. Shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. You have in this group of men some guys that would come to realize that they had been entrusted with the greatest news humankind has ever heard. They're out over the field. They're keeping watch over their flock. And suddenly an angel of the Lord shows and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I want to tell you, as I look in this passage of Scripture today, there are two things that I want us to notice that we should be reminded of from the story of the shepherds that go back to this gift of purpose that has come. And the first thing we are reminded of in this passage of Scripture may seem a little strange, but it is simply this, that we are reminded how insignificant we are. We are reminded how insignificant we are. That's one of those statements that just says glory, right? Amen. Can't believe I'm so insignificant. Here's what I mean by that. The shepherds are out there. They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. They're enjoying the time that they normally do. And suddenly they have this great appearance from God. Now I have spent some great shows. Every time I hear, I have seen the light, I think of a Christmas, singing Christmas tree they do in Memphis, Tennessee at a little church there called Bellevue. Adrian Rogers used to pastor. You may, you may have heard of that somewhere. And they do, in this, in this production, they would, used to have these guys sing, I have seen the light. Great singers. All that, all the pageantry was there. They had the nativity scene up on the stage and they're singing, I have seen the light. And suddenly from the back come these guys dressed as kings with camels. Now I'm not talking about pretend camels. I'm not talking about paper mache camels. I'm not talking about robot camels. Well, that would be freaky and scary. I'm talking about real life camels. And behind them are some donkeys and some goats, and they walk down that aisle, and these men dressed in full regalia, they're talking about, I have seen the light, and they're talking about seeing Jesus, and they're carrying these huge gifts you can see, and these men go up to the front, and they sit at the feet of Jesus, and they take off their hats, and they lay them aside, and they present those gifts to this child. And it just gives you a sense of awe. I have seen some magnificent celebrations. I have seen fireworks that just amaze me. I have seen performances that just inspire me. But I can tell you this, I have never in my 31 years of living seen anything close to what the shepherd saw that night. 
And when they saw the kind of performance God can put on, they weren't inspired, they weren't awed, they were scared. And it reminded them how small they were. Earlier this fall, I mentioned a study a guy named Louis Giglio did on uh, being how small we are in the universe. And one of the things that he says is that the size of the universe, the bigness of the universe, reminds us of the smallness of us. The size of the universe reminds us of the smallness of us. Now you say, what does that have to do with the shepherds? Here's the thing. I think the shepherds got a glimpse into the power and the majesty of God. And the best evidence we have of the power and the majesty of God today is this idea of what God has done in the universe in which we live. Listen to this figure. The universe is, one, as best we can tell, Now, nobody's got their ruler out yet and measured it. Nobody's got their tape measured looking at it. But as best we can tell, the universe is 156 billion light years large. Now, just to give you an idea, one light year is 5.87 trillion miles So I don't know that, and I'm not going to do it in my head, but if you multiply 156 billion times 5.87 trillion, you get an idea of how large this universe is. Romans 1.20, it's on your sheet there, says that that ought to be a reminder to us of how great God is. It says, for the sense of creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been made clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, there is a, uh, a picture, and I don't know if it's going to be, there it is. I know you can see that wonderfully well. This is a picture taken from the edge of our own solar system. Now, to me, it looks like a bunch of sun rays, Right? Looks like something you might see out of your window. But I just want to show you how insignificant we are. I just want you to think about, if you look on that, you probably can't even see it. But in the middle of the far right beam of light is a little blue dot. There. It just so happened that this spaceship caught that little blue dot in a ray of sun from the edge of the universe. Anybody have a clue what the little blue dot is? It's Earth. Now that's from the edge of our own solar system. And I want you to think that we are one of billions of solar systems, but this is what I want you to see, is that if you were to be able to see us this morning on that little pale blue dot in the middle of that ray, it would be tiny, right? Scientists have looked for extra for life on other planets all across this universe, and nobody has found any yet, and I'm not weighing in on any of that stuff. But what I'm saying is they say that there has to be life out there because otherwise it is an immense amount of wasted space. And you know what I believe? That the whole reason space is so large is it is supposed to be a testimony to the power of God. I want you to think about this for a minute. 
It says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. Now the way he created is he spoke and it happened. Here's the thing. When I think about when those shepherds saw the glory of God up there in heaven, when they saw those angels surrounding them, when they heard them begin to sing, when they saw the multitudes of angels there, and they saw how great and mighty and powerful they were, what is interesting is they probably in that moment, most definitely in that time, understood how small they were. And when you look from the space continuum of where we live and you think about that you and I live out every moment of our lives every major part of our lives every major problem we have every major situation we have every major thing that goes on every war that happens every hurricane that happens all happens on that pale blue dot it can make you seem awfully small and here's the thing What we have to remember in the midst of all of this, in Christmas, in the midst of life in general, is that we must not forget it is not about us. I don't have any studies on this. I haven't done any investigation in this. But I can tell you that I am almost certain that if you were to find out the most selfish times of year, one of them would be the season we are in. Now, I know many of you here give great gifts, and you give generously to Lottie Moon, and you give, but part of all of that is you're doing it out of a selfish motivation. And I'm not getting on any particular person. I just know how my life is sometimes and how things are. And the truth is that in the midst of all of this, we can easily forget that Christmas is not about us. It's not about the number of gifts we put or get under the tree. It's not about the amount of money we give to Lottie Moon. It's not about the number of parties we attend. It's not about any of that. Christmas is not about us. Life is not about us. We are but a small speck on the small speck of a place that's on the small speck of a little blue dot in the midst of a mighty big universe. It is not about us. And the first thing we have to be reminded of is that we are very insignificant. Here's the second thing. We're also reminded... How important we are. Here's what is amazing about God. It's the God who created all that we cannot even measure decided to become a speck on the speck of the little blue dot caught in a ray of light. Now you talk about that Philippians 2 passage where it says that he who was equal with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Can you imagine someone who has never been confined to space, who sat over as the world was created, and it tells us in Colossians that through him all was created, nothing was created except through him, Jesus the Christ. And so as we sit, he sits over and sees it all, that God looks at him one day and says, we've got to go down and we've got to save the little specks on that little blue dot. And the way that we're going to do that is I'm going to make you, Jesus, who has not known any limits in your life, suddenly become limited to being a speck on the little blue dot. And so these shepherds are out in the field and they're watching their flocks by night. 
And suddenly, the most important event in the history of the world comes, and the angels can't help but to break forth. Have you ever thought about that the first evangelists were angels and not men? Evangelism is just telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, the first beings to tell the good news of Jesus Christ was that this angels... And I'm not sure they understood the plan. I'm not sure what was going on. But I think the angels were saying, listen, we have been worshiping this guy since the day we were created. We have been gathered around the throne of God. And now he has come to live among you. There is nothing that we can understand about this move. But we want you to get a glimpse of the fact that this one that has been born in the manger is not just any child. It is the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. And we want you to be the first to understand that God loves you you so much you are so important to him that he has decided to come in the flesh this day and you see the two reasons that i know that we are important is because in this passage of scripture the shepherds we see two things first of all that we are loved we are loved There's three things that happen here that show God takes great delight in us. And here's the thing that I know about this, is that it's the simple math of understanding how a father loves a child. The simple math of understanding how a mother loves her son or her daughter. And understanding how much God loves us. There are three things I see in this passage that God does, that He still likes to do. That He still likes to work in order that we might have an understanding of who He is and His love for us. And this is, God loves to surprise God loves to surprise us. Now the shepherds were in a field that were probably about two miles from Bethlehem. They may have been there for temple sacrifices, but we're not really sure. Now in most of their days, they were understood to be despised, unclean, thieves. In fact, they were seen in such a light that they were people that weren't allowed to come to the temple themselves. But what's interesting is in Scripture, in the New Testament especially, and even in the Old Testament, in the person of David, in the New Testament, Jesus identifies himself with the shepherd. In the New Testament, it's understood that these men were humble. They, they, they felt unimportant. They felt ignored by the world. But the truth is, even though they were humble, even though they were unimportant in the world's eyes, even though they were insignificant in the world, Eyes, they were not unknown or unimportant or, or, or insignificant in the eyes of God. And what I love about this first passage is that it says that when the angel came, they were scared. My dad used to tell us the story of playing pranks on his brother. My dad has a younger brother. There were four of them growing up, two girls and two boys. And my dad was a second child, and his younger brother's name was Chris. And he used to tell these stories about trying to surprise Chris. And I remember one particular story when Chris came in late one night, later than he was supposed to. He was a teenager, and he was walking down the hall, and my dad had hid in the closet. And as Chris walked past the closet, my dad reached his hand out of the closet and put it on Chris's shoulder. Chris went to the floor immediately, fainted. I asked Dad why he liked to do that. He said, I just thought it was fun. Here's the thing. It's almost like, and it's not the same. Trust me, the metaphor doesn't exactly match. But it's almost like the angels were waiting for the child to be born. And they were in that closet. And the shepherds were minding their own business. And suddenly, when that child is born, they jump out of the closet and yell, Glory to God! 
I don't know about you, I would have been down, right? And this is what I started to think about. In my life, who do I surprise for that kind of reaction? And it's the people I love the most. My son and I, Eli, like to play games where we hide and jump out. Eli likes to get behind something and jump out and act like he's scaring me. And I like to do the same to him. And it's because we like the surprise factor. There's One of the things I love most about Christmas, this is the selfish part of Christmas for me, is when I get a gift that they don't have a clue what it is. And it's a good one. I'm not talking about socks or underwear. Right? And you got it all wrapped up and you got it ready to go and you got it under the tree and you just wait for them to pick up that gift to unwrap. You know what I'm talking about, you there? And you love to watch as they unwrap it and they pull the top off and there it is, surprised. You love that reaction. God, on the first Christmas night, wrapped up the gift of His Son, laid Him in a manger, and then He unwrapped it for the shepherds who were completely unaware. He likes to surprise us. Here's the thing. He likes to save us. He tells them, he says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joys that will be for all the people. Here's what I love. He says, everybody's going to enjoy this, but you get to be the first to hear it. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. What Jesus says, coming represented is not just that God loved them and wanted to surprise them, but He wanted to save them. And the truth is that the entire reason we have Christmas, the entire reason that we can be a part of Christmas, is because 33 years later, that same child in a manger would take a travel to the cross, and on the cross He would give His blood for you and for me. He would die a death. Three days later, He would rise again to validate God's love for us, to validate who He was, who He became, that Jesus is the Christ. In that first annunciation to Joseph, That Jesus was coming. It says in the scripture, the verse that we heard today, that we heard all of our lives, and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from his sins. And what many of us don't know is that the reason those two go together is because the name Jesus or Yeshua or Joshua in the original Old Testament language is the word that simply means the Lord saves. And so in the first naming act, before Jesus ever came, when they take Him to the temple and they name Him, they are signifying something saying that the Lord saves. He saves. One of my favorite songs of all time on the Christmas season is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I love that verse that begins with, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of of righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Now, I just want to be honest, this next verse I'm about to sing, or not sing, say, is one of those lines that just stirs my heart every time I hear it. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. 
The whole reason He came was that you and I didn't have to die. The whole reason He came was to give us second birth. He came to save us. Not only does He love to surprise us, not only does He love to save us, but He also comes to satisfy us. Here's the thing. If you read the book of Malachi, you see the last word of God, His direct revelation to His people. For several hundred years, they had nothing. No word from the prophet. No idea about what God was saying. It was a time period when there was nothing. There were some people talking about God. There were some scribes. There were some Pharisees. There were some things happening. But nothing major from God. And in a moment, in a moment in time, God suddenly reveals Himself like He hadn't been revealed in hundreds of years. It tells us in Scripture that the angels praise God at creation. The angels praise God in incarnation. And that the angels praise God at the salvation of sinners. It tells us that the angels are praising God. And you talk about a show to stop all shows. You talk about a performance of a lifetime. When those shepherds looked up, they saw angels beyond what you could imagine. Now I want you to think for a minute about being in the blackest, darkest night you've ever been in. You see, we don't really understand what a dark night is in a city like this. Now, unless you live way out in the boondocks, which is a real theological, technical term, you don't see the night sky for what it is. I remember when we were in Ripley, we had some friends that had a, a, a river house down on the river, and they let us go down there one weekend. And we went down, and when everything went out in the house, it was dark, Right? I mean, we got street lights, we got all kinds of lights from the city, we got everything going on here, but it was dark. Now I want you to imagine, we were sitting out on the, they had a deck looking over the Mississippi River, and we were sitting out there, and we just, those stars were, were brilliant, but the night was dark. And I want you to imagine, in the darkest dark you can imagine, suddenly a host of angels with the glory of God shining around them, and God giving this performance to the shepherds, all for their benefit. Now, the word host there is a military term for a band of soldiers. And it says this host praises the Lord in the highest way or the highest place. And they start by singing glory to God in the highest. We are reminded how important we are because we are reminded how much God loves us. He comes to these shepherds and He surprises them. He saves them and He satisfies them. Let me tell you today, I don't know what kind of life you're living. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. But I can tell you this without a shadow of a doubt. God loves you. I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus or you've never come to that place in your life. I don't know if you've accepted Him as your Savior or that you've never had that moment. But I can tell you either way, God loves you. And I know that you may be in the middle of a bunch of mess and junk and you don't know how to get out of it. And whether you're a saved person that has backslidden a little bit, and I don't mean that term in the way that you've come away from God. God is the one that keeps you in His hand. We don't keep Him. But I mean that you've walked away from His will and His work and you're not living as close as you ought to to Him and you're beginning to experience some things. Listen to me. What God does not like what you may be involved in, God loves you. And He still desires to surprise you and to save you and to satisfy you. 
if you're a person that has never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you've got all the objections, you've met all the Christians that don't live what they believe, you have some intellectual things you're not sure are all clear, you worry about some things that are down the road and you wonder what ought to be happening, let me tell you this, the one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in this life is that God loves you. And He desires nothing more than to surprise you with His love, to save you through His Son, and to satisfy you with the pleasures of His right hand. God loves you. Here's a second reason I know we're important. Not only because we're loved, but because we're called. Not only are we important because we're loved, we're important because we are called. Look what happens here. When the angels had left them, they give them a specific direction. They kind of leave them there saying that you'll find this baby wrapped in a manger, ready to go. And there may have been some discussion, briefly, I'm sure, that suddenly it says, you know what? We've got to go see what happened. They responded in faith and came in haste and they did with as quickly as they could. Just like Mary in chapter 1, verse 39, when, when the angel comes and she says, I will do what this has been made known to me, suddenly the, the, uh, the shepherds say, we've got to go see. And the truth is, if we are going to fulfill our calling in life that God has called us to, this important calling, we must go see. And they go and they see Him just like they said. God was true to His Word. Mary was the mother. Joseph was there. The babe, the little Lord Jesus, was lying in a manger. He was wrapped in cloths. He was lying there as they had been told. And they saw with their own eyes that God had promised and delivered. And the truth is, if you and I have come to Christ and have been saved by Him, you can attest to the fact that God promises and then delivers. And so they see this thing. But what I love about this is they don't just see it, they then begin to share it. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying. When they had seen him, verse 17, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They got out and shared it. They show that God had called them to this place. God had given them the ability to do this. And suddenly, suddenly they say, listen, we've seen the baby. We've got to go. We've got to tell. We've got to share the good news. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. And it tells us as they went that suddenly people were amazed. They were wondered. They were marveled at what the shepherds told them. Now I want you to imagine those shepherds going out into the places and saying, you're not going to believe what has happened. But we had these angels come and then we saw this child and it is the Christ, the Messiah. And I want you to think about the people they were going to who had no clue what they were talking about. Imagine if someone walked up to you and said, hey, by the way, I just saw an angel in my house. And he told me that this child down at the hospital was really special. And I went down and saw the child. It was just like the angel said. It was amazing. You've got to come see this child. Now, what are you going to say? Yeah, you're going to stare at him. You're going to say, I'm sure that's nice. Maybe sometime I'll go down there. And in your mind, you're going to think, that person has lost their mind. Right? 
If someone comes in there, now you're just looking at me. You're going to think they lost their mind. If someone comes to you and says they saw an angel in their room tonight and they had a message for them, you're going to think, oh my goodness, we have got to get them to a doctor. But the shepherds told and people were amazed. Here's the last thing that we must do. Not only must we see and must we share, we must also learn to savor. Over the next few days, as we move towards Christmas, some of you are going to have some meals that you savor. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. Those meals you sit around and you know you shouldn't eat another bite, but you wouldn't want to offend the person that cooked it, and you put all that food on your plate, so you savor it. Last night, we went to uh, Chef's Market because it's close to our house, and they had that chef-inspired table. Anybody been there? Know what I'm talking about? Okay. And they had on there, now I'm diabetic and I'm about to make a confession, all right? Is that all right with you? They had chocolate-covered cheesecake truffle. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now, I was good. I only ate about half of one. But I can tell you, as a diabetic who knew I could not eat that whole thing and hope to live for another day, I savored every bite. Here's the thing. Christmas ought to be a time when we savor every moment of what Christ has done for us. We savor it. What happens on that first Christmas is the angels come and they proclaim to the shepherds all that has happened. And they tell them that they should go and see this child. And in the midst of that, the shepherds understand how insignificant they are. But then they realize that the most important news in the history of the world has been entrusted to them. And that makes them very important. And I want to tell you that as our purpose here as a church is that we need to fully understand how insignificant we are and yet how important we are at the same time. We have a purpose statement that I've been talking about since I got here, and it is simply this. We exist to glorify God. Now, that means we exist to understand how insignificant we are and how important He is. And in the midst of that, we understand the importance He has placed on having us lead people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You see the play of the two there? Insignificant, we worship God for who He is. Glorify God by leading people. That's our importance. And what happens in the Christmas story is we understand that God didn't have to think of us at all. In Psalm 8 it says, Lord, when I think about the handiwork of your hands, of your fingers, and all that you have created, I think, what is man that you should think of him? And because of what He has done in our lives, we realize the importance of telling others. My question to you this Christmas is, are you going to unwrap that gift of purpose that God's given you? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank You for all that You have done for us, for the way that You have loved us, for the way that You have given us the promise of Your Son for the way that You have taken care of us, for the way that You have protected us. And Lord, in this room today, there are people that have been followers of You for years. 
And this year, as they're going towards Christmas, Lord, there's just something in their life that's preventing them from savoring what's happening, from enjoying what is happening, Lord. And this morning, as we've talked about this purpose, they understand more of who it is that you are wanting that relationship with them, that you are desiring that relationship with them, that you are wanting to see them come to know you and to follow you completely. This morning, Lord, we just pray that in this place that our hearts would remember why we even do all that we do, why we do the shopping and the cooking and the cleaning and all that, Lord, that it's because of you and the purpose you've given us. Lord, I pray this morning you will remind us again of our insignificance and, Lord, of our importance. Lord, this morning I know that in this place there are people that need to just have some time with you, Lord, to make some commitments, to be obedient in some areas. And Lord, if there's one here this morning that has not accepted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would come investigate that. They would find out about that right now, right here. They would ask the questions that need to be asked. Lord, maybe there are some this morning that are here and have been visiting, Lord, and they feel like this is where you are planting them. And this morning, Lord, is the time that they say, we're going to be obedient, we're going to come. This morning, Lord, maybe there are some of us in here that are followers of you, that, Lord, our, our focus in this season and in our lives have not, been, have not been on the reason we're here. And this morning, Lord, you just want us to come to this altar or make a prayer commitment right where we are to just say to the Lord, we want you first. Lord, whatever it is that you desire for us this morning... My prayer is that we'll be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.